Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12, and then we'll turn, why don't you do that, uh, turn over to Galatians chapter 3, keep your finger in Genesis 12, and then turn to Galatians chapter number 3, and I will show you that uh, something that I think will be a great blessing to you, and uh, the message will not be long this morning, we'll enjoy some food and fellowship together downstairs in a little bit, but I think you're really going to enjoy this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power of your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would use it today to produce, strengthen our faith, make us more like Jesus Christ, and uh, to to be a blessing to every person here. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Savior, I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ this very day. Lord, I pray, and bless uh, bless the ladies as they prepare, or whatever people are preparing downstairs the meal, and help it to be a wonderful day of uh, time of fellowship this afternoon. Thank you for your love. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have read the Gospel of Matthew. You've read the Gospel according to Mark. You've read the Gospel according to Luke and the gospel according to John. What I'm going to show you this morning is the gospel according to Genesis. And I'm not making that up. I'm going to show you from the Bible where it says that, the gospel according to Genesis. First, let me set the stage for you. God had created the world and the human race. And then after a couple of thousand years... He had to destroy the human race because of man's sin. Don't ever forget, folks, there comes a time when man's sin gets so horrible and detestable in God's sight that he has no choice but to judge the earth. And that is true in local situations. In other words, God can judge a city Because the city becomes so filled with sin, it's true on a national level. And then just a few times in human history uh, has it been true on a worldwide level. In fact, I guess you could say the only time on a worldwide level that it has been a factor was in the, the flood of Noah's day. So God had to judge man's sin in by through a flood. And you know how the flood went. God chose a man. It's uh, Noah. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God said, him have I found righteous before me. And he had three sons. And to tell you what a godly man and a godly father Noah was, he convinced his wife to get on this ark. He convinced his three sons to get on this ark, his three adult sons. And he convinced his three adult sons wives to get on this ark so Noah reached his family he influenced his family for the Lord but they were the only eight people out of the entire human race think about it 2,000 years of human history and people lived if you read the Bible and this may sound crazy to you but it's all perfectly uh explainable through science people were living to be five six seven eight hundred years old so two thousand years of births and people weren't dying we're talking about millions and millions and millions of people living on this earth before the flood 
And God said, I see one man righteous to carry on the human race after the human race is done. This is a major, major event in human history. God wipes out the human race and starts over with one man, Noah. So the flood is over and Noah has three sons, Ham, Shem, Japheth. And God tells him immediately, go forth and multiply, spread out, multiply. And they're all one family, the family of Noah. They all speak the same language. There comes a time after man begins to multiply, and they're multiplying quickly. They're multiplying, spreading out, multiplying, spreading out, where a man gets the idea Now, wait a second, all this spreading out, we could do so much better if we would just sort of congregate and work together. And so they, you know the story about how they built a tower, and their idea was that that tower would reach up to heaven. And they named the tower Babel, B-A-B-E-L. And it was basically an icon in humanism. It was man saying, nah, we'll do it our way, God. And so they were going to build a tower that would reach up to heaven. And by working together, they were going to have their own man-made empire and just sort of leave God out of it. The Bible said God came down to take a look around. And he saw that what what they were doing was not going to work for them. Listen. When we sin against God, the problem is not that God gets his feelings hurt. The problem is that our sin is not going to work out for us. And a merciful God says, all right, let me help you with that, because what you're doing is not going to work. It's going to, you're going to self-destruct. And so he came down to look at this city of Babel. Now, understand, not everybody on the earth was, was at Babel, but a, a huge collection of people were it was your your first big city and so God didn't come down and punish everybody he didn't come down and hurt everybody he just had a way to make them split up and it was a brilliant way and that is that in a moment he changed their languages according to family so here's all these crews. Can you imagine all the unions and all the uh, uh, different trades that were there? You know, you've got your plumbers and you've got your electricians and uh, you've got your masons and your iron workers and they're all there and uh, they're building this tower and all of a the sudden they can't understand each other anymore because, you know, the, the electricians start speaking Italian and uh, the masons start speaking German and uh, the carpenters start uh, speaking, I don't know, Spanish. Uh, and nobody can, and so they can't work together anymore. And I'm sure they tried, but they couldn't. And so their languages were confounded. Do you know uh, when, when uh, Brother John Nelms was here, and John Nelms uh, sends, uh, the, their ministry sends people to third world countries. They start churches at a rate of a new church somewhere in the world every three hours. And uh, they just keep multiplying, multiplying. So they're going to new places all the time. Do you know that they have come across primitive places in this modern world 
that still show their roots by pictures back to the Tower of Babel. That was a world changer. Okay, so it's just a few generations later. And you understand it was, it was, it's ten generations. You can do this yourself. You can do this math yourself. It's ten generations from the flood to Abraham. Do you understand based upon how long the Bible says that Noah lived? I'm not saying they ever met, but it would have been possible. Do the, if you doubt me, do the math. It would have been possible for an old man, Noah, to hold a baby Abraham in his arms. Now, again, I'm not saying they ever met, but it would have been possible year-wise, time-wise. And so, uh, so Abraham, ten generations after the flood, and he has seen all of this division. Now, let me say an encouraging word to all of us. The, the, the scariest thing that we're watching in our nation right now is not on a political level. The scariest thing that we're watching in our nation right now is on a personal level, the division between people. And uh, I, I don't sense, and maybe Sean as a police officer could tell me otherwise, I don't sense that it has, it has affected day-to-day life in our area yet. But let me tell you, if something doesn't change, it will where we don't trust each other based upon, you know, I'm, I'm conservative or I'm progressive or I'm liberal and I, uh, you know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, or even based upon race or religion, all kinds of things. Where, in other words, we would refuse service to somebody at the McDonald's drive through window. By the way, good news in case it matters to me, because I, I live my life right here, the drive-through down the road will reopen this Saturday. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, I just got word this morning. I'm on their contact list. No, I'm not. But I did go for my uh, sausage biscuit for breakfast this morning, and I said, when is that drive-through open? And she said, Saturday. I said, amen. So, um, but where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, but could, can you imagine just going to, to a local store? And being refused service because they detect that you are, you know, they're, uh, they're conservative, you're liberal, vice versa. Folks, that is contrary to the principles of our nation. I don't care where you're coming from. Uh, we, we work together, we love one another, and we cooperate. And when it comes time for politics, we vote, but we don't fight each other. And so that's the scariest thing that's going on in our country, not at a political level, on a personal. What you see on the news with riots and all that stuff, that's just a manifestation of what we've allowed to happen among us. We need to show kindness and work together and cooperate and and uh, help people and encourage people. And no matter what their background, no matter what their belief, no matter what they look like. So... Can you imagine how divided the earth was in this day? Having gone from the unity of Noah's family to all these families who can't even communicate anymore. All right, so imagine what a great thing it was. Now, ten generations after the flood, when the earth just seems like one big divided place and we've gotten so far away from the unity of 
of Noah and his family. Can you imagine what a great thing it was when God said to Abraham, the end of verse 3, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, God had given Abraham some other promises. He said, I will, I'll take you to a land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. But the end promise in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. In this great time of division, God said, Abraham, I'm going to use you to do something that's going to touch all the families of the world. I would have loved that. You would have loved that to say, wait a minute, God's going to do something to, to, to bring us together? God's going to do something that no matter what language we speak, there's going to be people of that language that are blessed? In thee, Abraham, in you shall all fam, all this division that you're seeing, Abraham, all these different people in different places, different languages, different cultures now have emerged. It doesn't take very many generations for cultures to solidify in a place. All these different cultures, all these different uh, uh, people groups, they will all be blessed. Now, not all the people, because everybody's not going to choose to be blessed. But every family of the earth, every nation, every race, every people group is going to be blessed through you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel according to Genesis. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, I want to get that in our heads a little bit because I'm going to show you that statement in another place in the Bible. So I want it to ring in your ears. So say that with me to, out loud, uh, beginning with in thee. Ready? In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Let's say it again. Ready? In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. One more time. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And this is about approximately 1800 B.C. It's about 1800 years before Christ. All right? You can keep your finger there if you want to, but you don't need to. Turn over to the book of Galatians chapter 3 now. Galatians chapter 3. Let's see if you could say it without looking. Let's give it a try. Ready? In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. I said it wrong. I couldn't say it without looking. Ready? In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. One more time. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. All right. Now Galatians. This is 1800 years later. 1800 years. Can you, can you Get your brain to think about 1,800 years. Where we're living now, minus 1,800 years, we're talking 200 A.D. Oh, that's a long time ago. Yeah, that's, a lo- that's, a, that's 18 centuries. And that's the difference between what we just read and what we're about to read. 18 centuries. Jesus has now been born. He has been crucified. 
He has risen from the dead. He has returned to heaven. And he has called a man named Paul to preach the gospel. And Paul is writing a letter to some churches in a region called Galatia. There was not one church of Galatians. Galatia was a region and there were many congregations throughout that region. And they had all given in to some false teaching. And Paul was writing a letter to all those churches saying, don't forget the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 3, in verse number 8, look at what it says. Follow along as I read. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, through faith. Now, time out. What's that talking about? The heathen is talking about the non-Jews. Because the Jews had been serving Jehovah God and believing Jehovah God for 1,800 years since Abraham. And everybody else basically had not been believing and serving Jehovah God. And therefore, God calls them the heathen. Now, that has become a a joking word in our day. People say, yeah, I don't go to church. I guess I'm a heathen. But the word has a specific meaning. It's people who are separated from God by their own choosing. So if you really are a heathen, you're just confessing that you have separated yourself from God by your own choosing, which is, that's fine, it's up to you. But this is talking about people who for 1,800 years, for 18 centuries, people who are not Jews and therefore, for the most part, there's some exceptions, but for the most part, they have not feared God, they have not obeyed Jehovah God, they have not believed Jehovah God. But the, the Scripture, it says the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the heathen, so that there would come a time that non-Jews would be saved by faith. When did that time come? It came after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And the Jews as a nation rejected Jesus. He was their promised Messiah, and they rejected him. And God said, okay, Jews can still be saved, but I'm going to focus my attention now on the heathen or the Gentiles. And that's how the Christian religion has become essentially, basically, a non-Jewish thing. Although Jews can be saved and do get saved. But we now associate the Jewish religion and the Christian religion as two separate faiths. It was not God's choosing. It was the Jews choosing by rejecting their Messiah. So the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, here it is, look at this, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, oh, there it is, and there's why I misquoted it, by the way, in thee shall all nations be blessed. When God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, and these shall all families of the earth be blessed, he was preaching the gospel, Galatians says. Now let me take it a step further. Turn the page over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. 
And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed, what covenant? In thee shall all nations, if you read through Galatians, you'd see it's, that's what it's talking about. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. In thee shall all families of the earth. That's God's covenant with Abraham. Look what it says. The covenant is, we're in Galatians 3.17. The covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ. The covenant was confirmed in Christ. So 1,800 years, 18 centuries before Jesus walked on this earth, he was a part of that covenant with God and Abraham, saying, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Jesus was in that covenant. How so? Because Jesus was a physical descendant of Abraham. And Matthew shows that. Matthew, the book of Matthew, the very first chapter, starts right off giving you the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. He was a descendant of Abraham. And because Jesus died for our sins and rose again, everybody... Every people group, every family of the earth has people in it now who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And God says in Galatians three seventeen, Jesus was in that covenant. Now, I told you a few minutes ago I was going to show you Jesus 18 centuries before he lived on earth. There it is right there. The covenant was confirmed before of God in Christ. Now I'm going to show you Jesus 20 centuries after he lived on this earth. I'm, going to sh- I'm about to show you Jesus on the earth today. You say, wow, where is he? Where is he? Where can I go? We were privileged on Friday. My wife and I, my mom and dad, and uh, Brother Zach and Catherine, we went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Or if you live in Pennsylvania, Lancaster. But it's Lancaster. Anyway, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There is a 2,000-seat theater down there called Sight and Sound Theater. And they have... They, they, and I've been to a number of Broadway shows. I'm telling you, uh, Broadway has nothing on this show as far as production and acting and musical. It's just unbelievable. Here's how unbelievable it is. This 2,000-seat theater is out in the country in the middle of nowhere, and they sell out a 2,000-seat auto. You can't get tickets the day of or the day before. We got our tickets a month in advance. And they sell out two shows in a 2,000-seat theater every day out in the middle of nowhere. That's how powerful it is. Right now, they're showing, they're, they have a show called Jesus, and it's been so popular and so beloved that they're going to run it again next season. By the way, I told my Sunday school class, we're taking a group next spring. We're taking a group down there, and we'll put the package together. We'll make it work. It's going to cost a little money, but uh, we're going to make that happen. And so I'll, tell, I'll give you details about that probably tonight. But anyhow, to see the life of Jesus Christ and an actor down there on stage acting as Jesus was an awesome thing. 
But understand, he's just an actor. He's just a man acting the life of Jesus. Where is Jesus on this earth today? You say, man, tell me where he is. I'll pay any price. I'll, I'll travel as long as it takes. I want to go see him. Oh, I'll show you where he is. Look at chapter 4 of Galatians. Verse number 6. And Paul says, and because ye are sons, are you ready? Read it with me. God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. Stop right there. Oh, he said it's just his spirit. Oh, no. You understand, we've got it completely backwards. We think the body is everything, the soul and the spirit. We don't even know what that is. From God's perspective, which is the only one that matters, the body's nothing. The spirit is everything. The soul is the body of the spirit and the body, I'm sorry, the, the, the soul is the house of the spirit and the body is the house of the soul. It's the spirit of Christ that matters. And he is on this earth today where if you know Jesus Christ is your savior in your heart. That is not metaphor. That is not hyperbole. The Spirit of Christ lives in your heart. You don't have to travel to Jerusalem. You don't even have to travel to a theater four hours away. He's right there where you're sitting. He is in the Spirit of Christ is in your heart heart would you ponder that would you think about would you just take some time maybe this afternoon and sit in the quiet somewhere and ponder the spirit of Christ is in my heart Jesus Christ is on this earth today he lives in your heart now He is not in your heart if you've never made the choice to make him your savior. I don't even know what that means. Okay, let me let me put it in a nutshell real fast. It's the simplest thing in the world, but it's the most profound thing in the world. We are a fallen race. We have sinned against God. That's why we lie. God didn't make us to lie. He made us to always tell the truth, but we all know how to lie. We all do it. If we weren't rebellious against God, we wouldn't even know how to lie. If we weren't rebellious, if we weren't, as the Bible says, sinners against God, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why we know how to hate. Hate is not God's fault. It's our fault. We have rebelled against our maker. That's why we know how to hate. It's why we know how to kill how to steal, how to, how to lust, how to covet, how to want everything that everyone else has. That's not fair. You got it, I don't. That's covetousness. And if we were not a fallen, rebellious race, we wouldn't even know how to do those things. Imagine living a life where we didn't know how to lie. We didn't know how to hate. We didn't know how to be deceitful and dishonest and spiteful and critical and all the gossip and all the garbage that divides men. Imagine if we didn't even know how to do those things. 
But we do know how to do them because we are a sinful, fallen race. Well, sin always has consequences. And the consequences of our sin is eternal death, eternal damnation. And we are individually responsible for that sin. Which means we're going to face, we face a death sentence. In fact, once you're old enough to understand and make choices for yourself, you already have that death sentence upon you. Say, what a horrible thing. What a mean God. No, we're the fallen ones. When a man is sentenced to prison for a crime that he's guilty of, you don't say, what a mean judge. No, he committed the crime. You know the phrase, do the crime, do the time. The judges, it's not the judge that's mean. It's you who have committed the crime. And we are the ones who have sinned against God. And the penalty is eternal damnation. But the good news is that God is a loving God. He loves you so much that he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. The only man who's ever lived who never sinned, never lied, never hated, stole, none of that. And so he was qualified to take our penalty and our sin upon himself. And that's what that cross is all about. Jesus died in our place. He took all sin upon himself. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And now he waits for every individual to accept his invitation for him to be your savior. So how do I do that? It said it right in those verses we read. By faith. All you say is. You said it. I believe it. I take Jesus as my savior. God says bang. You're justified by faith. Done. Can't be that simple. People work themselves to death. Trying to make it complicated. God says no it's simple. And God said, the moment you take Jesus as your Savior, you are justified by faith. And that is when God sends the Spirit of Christ to move into your heart. It's a wonderful thing. Now, God invites the whole world to do that one at a time. And if you have never taken Jesus as your Savior, today's your day. You have never received an invitation this clear, and you may never receive another invitation this clear. Today's your day. Let me give you the chance to, re- to accept the invitation right now. You say, oh, boy, this is, this is where I have to be embarrassed in front of everybody. No, you don't. Whether or not you tell anybody about the decision you're about to make is totally up to you. But this is where you do business privately with God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and you... Lift up your heart to God right now. And if, having heard the gospel messages, I just gave it to you as it's presented in the Bible. If you're ready to take God up on his invitation and make Jesus your savior. Just tell him. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just tell him something like this. Dear God, I know I have sinned against you. I plead guilty. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
I do not want to be condemned for my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again and conquered death. Right now, I take Jesus as my Savior. Jesus, come into my heart. Save my soul. Help me to live with you. And take me to heaven when I die. Now, nobody's looking but me. Please keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. But if you just made that choice for the first time, for the first time ever, you said, I'm making Jesus my Savior. And by the way, you only have to make that choice one time, and it's done. But he said, I just made that choice for the first time. Never done it before, but I just did now. I would love to know about it. Would you, would nobody looking but me, just lift up your hand to heaven and say, yes, when you prayed just then, Pastor, I prayed with you, and I took Jesus as my Savior. God bless you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Lord, you see the hands. More importantly, you see the hearts. And I pray that you would please bless each person who made that choice to take Jesus as their Savior today. Please, I pray. And uh, I pray that you would help us to live with the realization that the Spirit of Christ lives in our hearts. Thank you for loving us, Lord. We love you.